Yeah, uh-huh, listen up, yeah, I can see you're new to this, you ain't got no job, you ain't got no experience, you're entry level, you ain't got no qualifications, baby, you're entry level. Your entry level, baby. Your entry level. Ooh, yeah. Hey, welcome to this week's episode of Entry Level. I'm here with Cordell Reed. What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? I mean, I, I, I fucking love that stuff. I remember, remember when Super Bowl commercials started getting sincere, and I was like, no. Yes. Oh, what a nightmare. What a nightmare. It's before, like, yeah, the only sincere one before was with the Clydesdales would come around for Budweiser. And you go, oh, that's sweet. Yeah, <laughs> go yeah, back to, what's yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. Like, it was the frogs, that Budweiser, and now it's just nothing. Yeah. Salutes and, like, hugs <laughs> and, like, yeah, dude. military Every- personnel coming home. I'm like, and then it's a credit yeah. card company. I'm like, no, nah, man, make it Oh, fun. my God. I know. Someone's grandpa dies and yeah. then saluting to his grave, and it's <laughs> yeah. like, Toyota. Who yeah. can What? No, man. What's up? <laughs> they should, I honestly, you know what? We got to get in, we got to get staffed in one of these fucking, you know, uh, whatever they market these out to or you know they uh whatever the a copywriter room and we just got to pitch what's up is back and boom it <laughs> oh will God. be a fucking quarantine phenomenon can you imagine if you saw a new what's up commercial over over zoom or something like that yeah. that'd be incredible what's up? man oh we just figured it out we just made a million dollars we did Oh. Yeah, dude, forget this podcast, Incredible. dude. We got other stuff to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And and this podcast is brought to you by Fuck Off Sincere Super Bowl commercials. We hate you. This isn't a time to be funny. I mean, this isn't a time to be sad. This is a time to be funny. Exactly. Um, all right. Uh, with all that being said, Cornell, how are you? I'm doing all right, man. I feel like I'm looking crazier than ever. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Oh, I got that going for me. I'm <laughs> uh, scared to go for walks in my neighborhood. Don't want to get 5150'd on a walk. <laughs> what is 5150'd like? <laughs> we had a predator? No, that's when you get pulled away in a straitjacket. They, oh, they give you a okay. psych evaluation. Oh, there was, I was sitting outside and there was, um, I was telling Gabs this just a few minutes ago. This is a really cute two-year-old girl that came by and I was sitting outside reading. And we haven't thrown away our pumpkin from Halloween. And she pointed out, she's like, pumpkin. And I've always been like, I need to throw away that fucking pumpkin. But I like yeah. it. And I was like, oh, yeah, we got to get rid of it. And her dad was with her. And he's like, oh, she loves she loves that, that pumpkin. She points at it every day. And then I was like telling Gabs, I was like, no, we can't throw away this pumpkin. This cute little girl loves it. She was wearing yeah. like a, a Paw Patrol shirt and a fun dress. And Gabs was like, ooh, get a, get a photo next time. And I'm like, I'm not – Going to no. ask. <laughs> no way. That is not something that can happen. No, just sitting outside with a pumpkin from Halloween. I'm like, let me get a photo of your baby. <laughs> let me put this pumpkin on my lap and take a picture oh, of your child. Oh, no. No, no. Too no, far? No. Too far? Okay. Yeah, yeah, too far. You didn't see how cute she was. She was too cute. Um, Two-year-old girl sounds adorable. Yes, exactly. I saw that your daughter recently uh, got a guinea pig, and I am loving the photos. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She's got a guinea pig at her mom's house. She's loving it. Uh, yeah. I don't even know how guinea pigs are like smarter rats. I don't know how it works. Hey, watch your, watch your fucking mouth around me, okay? I love guinea pigs. I'm a, I'm a guinea pig boy, okay? I love them. You are. Yeah, I got one in fifth grade, and, um, and uh, I checked out a book on guinea pigs so often that the librarian was like, you can just keep it. Wow. I had no idea about this. Yeah, her wow. name was Xena Warrior Piglet, and she, was, she is near and dear to my heart. So I okay. am so excited. Any tribute to Xena is near and dear to my heart as well. So yeah. I'm on board. <laughs> good, good, good. Um, well, okay. So you're doing well. You're looking crazy. I'm over here. I'm getting, I'm gaining the LBs. I can't run because, you know, I hurt my knee on that marathon, right? Yeah. Uh, I got iliotilio band syndrome. The knee finally gets better. This past weekend, I go camping, break or dislocate my toe. Don't know. All I know is it, it's, it's sticking the wrong way and it, and it makes noise when I touch it. Um, so now I just am like fucking quarantined. I can't run and I'm just eating more. I'm really gaining the LBs over oh, here. Oh, man. Iliotilio? Iliotibial band. <laughs> oh, iliotibial. Okay. That sounds, that sounds like Captain Antoniel or something like no. that. You got Captain Antoniel. It's crazy. All right. Well, I that- mean. That happened from running a marathon. I feel okay about that one. The uh, breaking my toe was just, uh, I was on mushrooms at the river. That's all. I just kicked a rock on accident. Are you kidding me? That sounds way better than a marathon. <laughs> That's a much better reason to get injured. Are you kidding me? <laughs> okay. Speaking of which, we're going back to the river. We found a secret dispersed camping site, me and Gabs, and Cornell and Greg came up, and, and Rutherford ended up showing up. And, uh, you mean Carl? Oh, yeah, Carl. Uh, we're going back this weekend. You want to come camping? What day? When are you coming back? I'm what, leaving what Friday. Uh, then I'm coming back Monday. Mm, I can't. It's great. All right. That's fine. I can't. That's fine. I, can't I, I hate to say no on air. I wanted to say yes. And then yeah. off air, I'd be like, sorry, I really can't. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I get it. I should have I should have asked you on here. Look, we're making, I'm making pizza. It's really fun. It's such a treat. All right. Um, Gabs is shouting about not blowing up our spot um, in the other room. That's, that's good. Um, that's something to focus on. But also, guys, listeners, uh, if you have anything you want to talk about, email entrylevelwithbrooksweenland at gmail.com. I'm getting into stuff that doesn't have anything to do with jobs over there anymore. I'm just bored. I'm uh, engaging in every email. <laughs> I got, I'm got. i talking with Brendan Minipace, who's a uh, writer um, out of Philly. He has a blog called Snakes and Sparklers about the three phases of the chili peppers. He's getting into deep philosophical uh, wow. like musings. And he's totally right. So you begin, if you're a Chili Peppers fan, you begin with youthful attachment. It's the first one. And then the next phase is, um, I'm too good for this. And then the final phase is you have self-security and unironic love. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly how my love of the Chili Peppers went. Um, okay. Also, I'm getting, I got chips. I got Casa Sanchez chips from Taliza. I ate the shit out of those. So we're just talking about chips. And also we got an update from Annie. Remember how Annie was talking about... Um, how there's different people if you work in a funeral home what to be buried in yes okay yes. well she got us an update because i responded what do you, what is ideal to be married to be buried in um uh-oh, Freudian slip. Yeah, uh-oh, yeah. uh-oh. Wow, what's Hong the Hong difference? Hong. You ask me. Fucking Kevin and Bean over here. Um, <laughs> all right. Okay, here's, here's what she says. From what I remember, uh, they being the family that uh, her girlfriend, her girlfriend's family who are right. in a funeral home, told me that the clothes that can be slipped on, <laughs> this 
is also fun. Clothes that can be slipped on without any buttons and nothing needing to be fastened are ideal. So she wants you to be buried in literally just a t-shirt. Like that's what they're asking. <laughs> you know, you go out, you go out, you get buried in uh, a shirt cocking. She, just a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> she says something like looser, like a looser dress or sweatpants is great. Yeah, that's what I want. I want. I want mm. when I die, the funeral home to have it on Easy Street. Definitely, just, definitely. Just, just the last image my loved ones <laughs> get to see of me is just me wearing a t-shirt and sweatpants. Just put some Frito <laughs> crumbs on my chest too while you're at it. What the fuck? Yeah, just my big dog's t-shirt and my fucking. <laughs> old sweatpants and, and slippers i would hate to have them have to tie my shoes <laughs> yeah put a tv remote in my hand and just fucking <laughs> a pop tart in the other a frozen yeah. pizza yes i mean and she says anything tight is difficult to put on like tight dresses jeans bras and tights yeah these people just died their family wants to look at them looking nice uh, apparently people or their right. families regularly have very specific outfits they want to be buried in, including underwear, tights, socks, and bras. This all adds up. Uh, yeah. If you don't give the funeral home any type of clothes to be buried in, there's a standard dress nightgown situation they put you in. Okay. Uh, that's, that's a bummer if you die and they're like, I don't know. Do, like, um, no one's like, hey, why don't we maybe throw on like his favorite shirt? Uh, you, right. So if you die and you're just buried in a standard dress nightgown situation, that's what it's called. The standard dress they just nightgown. It's like a situation. lost and found box or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just just bury they, bury me in what I showed up in. That's all. Don't put me in the nightgown situation. Well, what if can a family be like, um, my father would love to be buried in the nude? Is that a <laughs> is that something you can do? Ooh. Um I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure. It also sounds like if your father wants to be buried in the nude, this is more of a you're going to bury him yourself situation. <laughs> I want a clear, clear casket. Everyone can see through <laughs> on all angles. And I'll be, I'll be on like a slowly turning, like a spit almost, where you can see every <laughs> angle of my body during the service. You want to be ro uh, uh, roasted like a chicken at your own funeral? <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, boy. I mean, it'd be so weird to, like, be at a funeral where the body is hovering naked and slowly turning. Because, like, there's no good angle, but some angles will be better, you know? Like, oh, yeah. Okay, I get to look at it. I get to, we're getting the front for a second. Oh, there. Okay. Oh, we're going back to the butt. Uh, all right cornell when you die we will get a rotation situation going and it is it's a real crapshoot which one of us is going to go first <laughs> it, is, it is but it's going to be soon oh yeah 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 it's the thing with like gabs where i'm like you're clearly going to live like 40 more years than me um i'm out here breaking toes on the rocks okay and then we got we have um another funny email from a michigan man who wants to stay anonymous uh, and this one's kind of a doozy, so sit back. Uh, okay. Listeners, if you send in your stories, you want to keep them tight, but this one's pretty great. It's a little long, but I love it, so we're going to read it on air. Okay, he goes, I grew up in Grand Blanc, Michigan. Uh, one summer in high school, my buddy gets a job for what he tells us is Comcast, the cable company paying twelve fifty an hour 
Um, only odd request is we're told to meet in the parking lot of a local grocery store in the morning. So, so it's like, hey, you guys want to work okay. at Com- Comcast? Meet me at a high V. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Me and, me and three buddies show up in the parking lot Monday morning and could tell maybe we were in for more than we bargained for. Uh, you have us four 16-year-olds and a crew of like six other 45-year-old-plus men. And these were hardened guys who are not pleased <laughs> to be sharing their jobs with soft boys. Uh, yeah, it's construction in the Midwest is wild. You just like – because it will be like he's 16. Uh, he's doing this for an Xbox game. And he's 59. He's doing this for alimony. Right, right. Yeah, there's different vibes. <laughs> and you both have the same job. I love the term hardened men. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it says two beat-to-shit cargo vans pulled up, and we're told to pile in, and they'll drive us to the job site. They take us to the site, which is about five minutes away. It's a giant gravel field that had been cleared. We're each assigned a different section and proceed to just rake gravel for the next nine and a half hours. The van shows up, takes us back. Yeah. It becomes clear almost immediately this is not Comcast. Okay, so first day was hard, but we're thinking we're making serious money here. And we'll get used to it. Can't be that bad. There's only so much gravel that can be raked. We show up the second day, pile into vans. This day, they didn't take us to the same site that was five minutes from our house. They take us to one 20 minutes away. That's about five times larger. After day three, the driver of their van, who literally just drops us off and picks us up, say, we are behind. And if we can't pick it up, we're not getting paid. This is not how it works. What? Yeah. One of the old guys, um, not there the prior days, sneaks an entire bottle of black velvet whiskey with him to the site. <laughs> this, this is why I read it. I know these types of guys. He drains it before 10.30 a.m. and spends the next seven hours passed out in 100% sun. Uh, a few times he'll wander over to me and ask for cigarettes. Um, I don't have any, and he's annoyed by it. He gets sunburned, but no one says shit on the drive back to the parking lot. Yeah. So that's just a guy who, who is one, day, one and done. This man did not come back for the second day. <laughs> okay. Uh, luckily, he isn't there for day four when it really starts to dawn on me that something isn't right. Really, day four, not the black velvet <laughs> blackout day with the, other, with the adult man. Um, yeah, I'm a high, I'm a high school softie. My mom, proud of me for getting a job, packs, my, packs me lunch every day. As I'm sitting on a cinder, block, cinder blocks in the middle rock field, about to enjoy my Gatorade and two sandwiches, Little Debbie's, etc., all packed in a small cooler to keep cold. <laughs> it sounds perfect. I see an older coworker across the lot sitting down for his lunch, which is literally a KFC bone-in chicken breast between two pieces of white bread. <laughs> Yeah, this guy's going to eat the bones. He's going to eat the bones. He's going to eat the bones. <laughs> Talk about a funny commercial. I know. I okay. know. Uh, also, also, I also realize the reason they drive you to this site is so you can't leave. Um, any rational person, if presented with these working conditions, would eventually just drive away. But since our cars are parked 15 plus miles away, we have no place to go. That day, the van is late to pick us up. Not 15 minutes, but like two hours. They're just stuck there. Oh, my God. They, we, we realize that this is how they think they're going to catch up on pace. They think if they don't come, they'll just keep working. My friend calls his mom to pick us up, which makes the older guys want to murder us. When she comes to pick us up, one of the older dudes takes it upon himself to tell her that her son is a queer and his friends are little homos, probably because their dads are homos, too. <laughs> 
and we were costing him money by coming to play slap dick every day. <laughs> this is what an old man is telling a kid's mom. Unreal. Unreal. Uh, none of us knew the guy's name oh, um, because he had not said more than three words that entire time. Um, either way, that, that was enough for our, our parents to let us quit. And then, the, then they would not pay them. They said, you didn't do the work. You don't get to get paid. So uh, the, he says, I relay this to my dad, who probably decided these aren't the type of people to fight, uh, and said just to learn a lesson from it. Wow. What a story of genuine pieces of shit scumbags. Oh, my God. I have so many fucking questions. Okay, go on. What? What? Well, first off, the biggest question is, what were they supposed to be doing? What was the point of this labor? Raking gravel? What is the uh, end there, game there? They said there were subdivisions, and they were just like, they would bulldoze them, and they were supposed to just make them flat. I don't know. Also, the, this is all happening where Burns' character dad boner is from. So this yes. adds up 1,000%. <laughs> It's so funny, guys. If you don't, you, you, if you have not checked out Mike Burns' uh, Twitter handle, Dad Boner, it's very funny. It's um, the funniest, yeah. Yeah, currently, right now, his roommate, Carl Welsing's roommate, Dave, went to a handshake party. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and now he, uh, Carl has him locked in his room. <laughs> a handshake yeah. party. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty great. Oh, man. Okay, well, I, I don't know. I, and also, uh, guys, oh, Cornell, do you want to hang out and do uh, and roast the um, Patreon's cartoons after this? Yes. Let's take them down. Because uh, Cornell and I listed our top five favorite cartoons in the last Patreon episode. We asked the listeners to, email, to uh, respond with their favorite cartoons. And guess what? They're trash. They're trash. We're oh, going to go over there. Wait, We're going to take them down. Okay? Because these I are not wait. top five cartoons. Um, <laughs> So join the Patreon if you want to hear more of dumb shit like this. Uh, the mugs are for sale, guys, if you want mugs. Um, and uh, I don't know. I guess that's about it. Get, uh, you know who we're interviewing this week, Cornell? Who's that? Ron Funches. Oh, snap. Yes. That sounds great, man. The most pleasant man in the business. Uh, he's, he's, got, got, yeah. he's, got, he's got some really great jobs. He's a, he's a real wild man. Um, he talks about uh, why you should not. He worked in a cannery, and he it gives uh, some pretty solid reasons why you should not get canned vegetables. Uh, so listen to that. Okay. I, okay. I don't think I need to hear that anymore. No, I just no. think I should stop buying any canned vegetables. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, he was like, he was the process to make sure that um, rats and snakes didn't get in to the into the building because they just tilled up the soil and he said sometimes you just don't want to grab a rat <laughs> sometimes they got in there uh either way it's a great interview ron's the best you really enjoy it listen to cornell's podcast network corn in in and right. um yeah and uh i don't know stay safe out there and if you're gonna go camping Wear some, wear some water, wear, wear some water moccasins. Cornell, you taught me the best uh, foot gear for camp for water river stuff. Fill the list. Crocs, dude. Wear Crocs. They're the best. You can slide them around your feet. They stick on. And the best part of all, when you're in the water, they float. So it's real easy to lay on your back and float that way. And if you one falls off, you can find it real easily. Crocs are the best. Yes, I absolutely goofed up. I had, I was crockless and I broke my toe devastated also uh, i'll put on this episode description the uh travels and such where cornell and i went tubing down the kern river before coronavirus 
Yeah. <laughs> and that's where you're rocking Crocs in the river. That's right, baby. Uh, okay. Uh, I'll put a link to Cornell's episode. And Cornell, just as a friendly, what's up? Uh, what? what up? I'll see you over on the Patreon. And I'll put a link to subscribe to the Patreon in this episode description. Guys, have a great freaking week. Enjoy this uh, interview with Ron Funches. Hey, welcome to this week's episode of Entry Level. I'm here with Ron Funches. Hey, Ron. Hi, bro. How's it going? How's quarantine? I'm doing okay. You know that lady? She doesn't have a head in that corner. I don't know about that. Oh, yeah. You can see uh, Gabrielle's art. Yeah, she's, she's good at drawing bodies, not heads. Okay, stick with what you're good at. I like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a lot of headless, a lot of headless art. You got some, you got some action figures behind you that are looking good. Yeah, a lot of pro wrestling action figures for me. I I do appreciate that. Uh, like a lot of people right now, like when they're do like interviews, they'll try to look smart and put books behind them. No, I went the other way. That that is a bookshelf, and I. <laughs> And there were books. There were books on that shelf. And I removed them to put more action figures. Yes. That's who you are. And that, that, that's, that's, plus, you're wearing a Mankind shirt right now. I love it. Oh, Cactus Jack. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, same guy. Yeah, yeah. Dude love. I mean, what a, what a, what a genius. Um, well, Ron, uh, how's, I don't know. I, I, everything's just so weird right now. What, what do, do you have a difference between weekends and weekdays or no? A little bit, yeah, yeah. I'm in. Um, I think one of the pluses of having a freelance lifestyle normally is that I've learned to put myself on a schedule, and yeah. so I kind of been keeping that schedule. I mean, a highly modified version of that schedule. <laughs> but you know, I do. I try to get a lot of shit done every day, yeah. whether it's like just podcast with my friends, or I did a podcast with just some guy who I didn't even know in Belfast, Ireland, just because he asked. Well, that's and fun. Then on the weekend, I try not to do any work. I just smoke a bunch of pot and chill out and play video games. Well, I do that during the week, too, but more more in the week. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like if you make it till, like, um, for you, it's weed. Me, it's, like, beer. If I get till 6 and I haven't had, like, a beer, I'm like, oh, look at that day. That was a good day. Yeah. Yeah. I try not to smoke till 420, but I already got an argument with my fiance, so that, that, went, that went out the window. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I get it. I understand. Dude, these quarantine fights, they're the real deal. They're so yeah. unnecessary. They just happen. Pointless. Yeah. Pointless. Zero point to any of them. No, no. Getting it's, in there, just dumb a, arguments. We got in an argument the other day because she says she wants to be an actress in 30 years. And I said, why don't you start now? And so then we fought about that for a while. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, man, I, I would love to be an actor in 30 years. That's my goal. Me too. Yeah, but now as well. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Okay, well, for uh, your fiance's sake, it was good I wasn't also over when that fight happened. <laughs> uh, but Ron, okay, for people, for uh, entry-level uh, fans who, who might not know who Ron is, who live under a rock, he's one of, one of uh, the best comedians, one of the nicest comedians. I've known you for a long time, met you when you were still living in Portland. Hilarious. You work on all sorts of shows. You're, just, you're like movie trolls. I, I know that you wrote it um, and, and animated it, but like you were just in a movie that like uh, I was reading is going to like change how movies come out. That's what they say. So that's, it's always good when it's not like, let's not do that again. When they're like, maybe let's try it again. 
Yeah, no, that really, I was a little bit worried about it, but no, I, I'm really happy about that. As long as they need Cooper back, I'll be there. Yeah. So I'm interested. Yes, please. No, it makes me really, it was, that's also, that was one of the weirdest things about this time is that like, you know, you're trying to not make the bad things feel as bad, but also the good things kind of go by. And I was like, oh, I'm in the number one movie in the world and nobody really gives a shit. <laughs> Yeah, no. We're all, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's a weird time, but that's not what we're here to talk about. We're talking about before you have Trolls World Tour fame. We're talking about the Ron Funches who lived in Portland, who when I met him, I think worked at a pickle factory or something like that. <laughs> I think, okay. Yeah. This is about pickle all the jobs factory. you had before. Where did you work? Didn't you work in like a canning factory? I worked at a cannery and I'm thinking, okay, okay, if you want to call that a pickle factory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I do. In my head, it was pickling cans. Um, okay, so Ron Funches, where are you from and what was your first job? Um, I'm from, I mean, I'm from multiple places. I was born in Gardena, I was raised mm -hmm. in Chicago, and I moved to Oregon as a teenager. Right. Um, and for for people who what? don't know, Gardena is uh, uh, not the best part of L.A. County. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I love family in Long Beach area and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and so, um, but my first job, well, my very, I mean, I'm, my very, very first job, I worked at Chuck E. Cheese. And, what? Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are you getting in it? What's happening? No, man, I wanted to get in it. I wanted to be the mouse. I wanted to dance around. I wanted to be what I, I would have killed it. I would have been naturally gifted at that. Yes. But I worked in the back making pizzas where I was horrible at it. <laughs> I was really bad at it. Yeah. Like, I didn't, man, because you see a pizza and all the time they look beautiful and nice. But, man, when I was dispersing to toppings, they always just came out looking horrible. Um, I was just bad at it. I got fired in two weeks for not being talkative enough, even though I what? in the back. <laughs> <laughs> they fired you for being creepy? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> they were just like, you're too quiet? What? Are you just like, no one knows how to talk to you? What? How, does, how, do you how do you just get fired for that? I think, yeah, just too quiet. I think at that time, I didn't like know how to wear a belt properly, so my ass is probably <laughs> always showing. If, I, if I'm going to be honest with you, I think that's probably why they would find, they're like, we can't have your ass crack hanging out while you're yeah. making four pizzas. And yeah. Also, <laughs> I'm sure, like, I had a similar first job experience. I've talked about it a million times where I was a tour guide in a cave and I thought it'd be interesting. And I'm sure you think working at Chuck E. Cheese is going to be interesting. It's not. It's you're not, not playing the games. You're not watching the band. You're in the back making pizzas. And there is nothing fun back there. So who gives a shit? You don't even need to put that belt on. It's for the best. <laughs> i agree with you but uh yeah so then my let's see uh, was that in chicago that was in oregon that was in salem oregon oh that was so wait how did you get to say when did you move to salem when i was 13 okay there. did you like salem salem always seems kind of nice to me salem is weird it, i think it was uh um I wouldn't trade the lessons I learned from moving out there from Chicago, especially and the culture differences and things of that nature. But um, it was just so weird because it was a very apathetic area, very much uh, just not much going on there. You know, a lot of the people 
who were interested in doing stuff were like, oh, I'm going to move to Portland. I'm going to move to Eugene. Yeah. And, and it kind of either left these people who were like, fuck Salem, or these people who were like, let's try to make it as weird and artsy as possible. Mm-hmm. And so that, like, I mean, it taught me a lot of lessons about just like, you can control your scene, you can control your, your community, you know? Yeah. I did a lot of shows out there. A lot of like, a lot of like my first stand-up shows were just hosting coffee house shows in Salem. How, how far away is Salem from like Portland? It's about forty-five minutes. Oh wow, that's okay. That's great. Well, you know what? But when you don't have a car, that might as well be two days. Yeah, and I learned very early from other comedians that like a lot of them, even if they had cars, they didn't have the drive for that. They were like, oh. 45, 50 minutes. No, I got stage time in Portland. And I was just like, this is what the job is supposed to be. You're supposed to go from town to town to town (laughs) telling jokes. You're the circus man. You're here. But I've worked as a cashier. I've worked as So let's get through it. So you, you, so I'm going to guess Chuck E. Cheese was 15, 16. Mm -hmm. Okay. You get bounced. You go home. Do you have to tell your mom, like, yo, I got fired because you never taught me how to do a belt? Or did you, did you try to keep it quiet? Um, nobody really cared. It was just really just like, oh, I had a job, and then the next week I didn't have a job. <laughs> yeah. Did you get to go pick up your check? Did you still return to the Chuck E. Cheese? Oh, yeah. I had to get my check. I need to get a fucking Sega Dreamcast, man. Oh, whoa. Okay, I get it. See, I've just... I got it fired and I was embarrassed one time. My mom went and got my check. I felt, I was like, don't even worry about it. Like, I was so sad. But no, okay. It was fun walking in there and not having to work anymore because then it could be fun again. That's yeah. the only actually cool part about working there is then that you would, you, they would give you a bunch of tokens and you could come back and just play when you were. Yeah, now, now you're on the inside. I worked in a movie theater and it was like the greatest year after I quit ever because I just free movies. Yeah. Did they give you popcorn or any? Oh any yeah, you got, you you can bring popcorn, but the thing is, uh, here's a little movie inside tip: you had to bring your own bag in because they take inventory on the bags and cups. So you got your own cup, your own bag. It was a little Ziploc. They're gonna they're gonna hook you up. Nice. Yeah. It was uh it was great. It was a really good time. So you leave Chuck E. Cheese, then is cashier. Uh, then yeah, I went to work at this store called Grocery Outlet where I was uh first I was like just you know collecting carts and mm-hmm. being like the bagger and stuff and then I worked my way up to being number one cashier what okay it was a title that I believe I made up <laughs> no no I feel like you earned it work us through the so it sounds like you thrived in the parking lot bagging situation you needed to be in front of customers not back there with the like pizza makers yeah, no, that, that's the only, that's true. That's what I learned. That was the only way I could keep any type of um, quote unquote regular job is that I was good at talking to people. Yeah. And so um, that was the same thing when I was a cashier. I, I would always have like the longest lines of people coming in. People would like, if there was an open register, they would just be like, no, I'll wait. I want to talk to Ron. Oh, <laughs> what? Okay. So, and, and what's, this, what's this grocery store called? Grocery outlet. Okay, was so it like any- a grocery store, but they sold like food that was like almost like they would freeze it before it spoiled mm-hmm. and things like yeah. that. It's, it's an outlet store for groceries for food. Okay, yes. uh, and at the grocery outlet, is there any like sort of um, uh, like was like Becky annoyed that she's like I got an open fucking I got an open checkout and oh, people yeah. want to talk to Ron. 
yeah, there was some jealousy. There was really? some hatred of people that they didn't like they didn't understand that I was a star. I <laughs> <laughs> didn't know they were working with the future number one movie star in the world for the <laughs> pandemic. But the town, the townspeople going to grocery outlet, they knew this guy's got something. They, yeah, they were like, there's something about him. There's yeah. something about him. Even though one, even though one time a guy said, no, I want to go to that niggardly cashier, which I didn't even think was a word. <laughs> oh, man. I'm oh. pretty sure that's not a word. I don't it's, think. <laughs> the guy, uh, you know, um, I, re- I just read the Game of Thrones books. And I tell you what, that guy uses that word a lot in there. Uh, I don't <laughs> know what it means, but I don't like it. I wasn't happy that it just started popping up. It, uh, I think, I, I don't want to, I don't even know, but I think it's an attitude. It sounds like a positive, I don't know, positive? It can't be positive. I don't like no. it. We're moving on. <laughs> I'm just trying to give this man the benefit of the doubt, and I'm not going to, actually. <laughs> well, he did want to come through my line, so there was Yes, that. that's what I'm saying. Maybe it's an affable attitude, but you just should never use it ever because just don't. Yeah, that doesn't seem like a good one. (laughs) How about, no, I want to talk to the nice guy and the nice line. Yeah, no. I want the chocolatey fellow. Yeah, well, that's... (laughs) Even that would have been good. I'd like that. Yeah, yeah, that's fun. Okay, all right. Now, I'm going to cut all this out where I uh, tried to put a positive spin on it. Keep it in. Let people know. How are you doing? How are you holding up? Because, I mean, there's one thing with me. I love being inside. I'm a hermit. You like going outside all the time. You're an outside guy. Yeah, I just went, I just broke my toe uh, camping up on the Kern River. I got a little inside tip on where you could go camping. But uh, I just went up there, and then I come back here for, you know, I I leave on, like, Thursdays, and I come back on, like, Monday mornings and go camping. Because otherwise, I I, I don't do great with, uh, um being stuck in an apartment like you got a nice house you 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 did it at the right time you got that pool now don't you (laughs) yes (laughs) you hit it at a perfect time you got a perfect time but i have thought about that i was like man i really grinded it out at the right and hit a spot at the right time for things to be like well okay now we we got to maintain. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I was like, no, I don't want to maintain. I want to keep working. Uh, yeah. The biggest bummer for me, and I've talked about it, was uh, it was some people are going through so much worse stuff, you know, but uh, I was going to shoot my first special April 2nd. So oh, man. just missed it, which is, uh, and who knows when we get to do stand up again. Oh, man. That sucks. Who was yeah. it with? It was, we were just going to shoot it with an 800 pound gorilla and then like sell it, hopefully. But it was it. Gonna, yeah. I was going to do it outside at Best Fish Taco, make it real cool. And uh, man, I was excited. But it'll happen in 2029 20, when this vaccine is out. <laughs> yeah, you got to look at the positives. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, what did you think of WrestleMania with the two nights of WrestleMania now that we're just. It was just nice to have something to watch and that, have something to look forward to that was. A thing I noticed after is that I was a bit depressed and bummed because I was like, oh, I don't know what I'm looking forward to now. Before I was like, oh, it's WrestleMania time and a mm. uh, thing that I normally, like for the last three or four years, I've, I've gone to, to the to yeah. them live. Um, but I had already decided that I didn't really necessarily want to go to the Tampa one. So I wasn't too bummed about that. Right. But uh, the actual show, I mean, it wasn't great, but what do you want? That's the thing you learn is like with wrestling and comedy of like, 
I'm really learning just to be how gr grateful of the audience I have to be because yeah. without them, we, we were literally nothing. No, 100%. Like I was just, the, the last shows I did were in Syracuse. Uh, and I was like, man, what if the last stand-up I ever do is in Syracuse? And then, and then I had to be like, that's actually pretty good. They were a nice town. They came out. They were happy. I can't believe I was complaining about having to go to Syracuse. Yeah. Um, okay. And other questions. You grew up in Chicago in the 90s. Did you watch this Jordan doc at all? I had to. Of course. I had to. It was, oh. it was a legal obligation from anyone who grew up in Chicago in mm -hmm. the 90s that they'd have to watch it. I, I was surprised. I told my mom about it. She hadn't seen it. So I was like, you got you got eight hours of stuff to catch up on. Yeah. I, I feel how you felt after WrestleMania right now because each Sunday was Michael Jordan night. It was the Bulls night. Me and Gabrielle would get sushi and we'd watch it. It was so good. And man, he is just the least apologetic human being I've ever seen. And he's not really that wrong. No, he's very complex. It's a very weird thing to watch. He's like just a, such a compelling figure. Truly one of the most, like uh, um, a real inspiration on what drive it can do for you. And yeah. like, even what like pettiness can do for you Dude, the most petty <laughs> human being on the planet who is also the best athlete so a deadly combo truly truly and i've thought we had arguments about that with my fiance where i was like because she's like sometimes you're petty and i go like yeah sometimes i am petty because it fuels me because yeah, yeah. i turn it and i make it the sometimes i'll sit around going oh life is great why am i working on something and i'll need a petty then, reason then, yeah bj armstrong will point at you after he hits a jumper and you're like i gotta kill bj armstrong put him down gotta put him down, <laughs> gotta put him down. dude and so, i so i, I, really, I grew up in, oh i related to that dude i love bj bj so uh the bulls are my favorite team but bj armstrong was my favorite member of the team because he played for iowa for the university of iowa mm -hmm. so because of him they had one uh, preseason game so I got to see Jordan when he came to Iowa City and I love BJ Armstrong and so when they were showing that little highlight goosebump city over here yeah he was so it was and it was the guy you never really got to hear from you know so it was right. really cool hearing him talk about his experience and like you said like um oh wait hold on, oh, hold on. I, I lost you for one oh, second no problem okay I got you back okay I got you back okay Growing up in Chicago, like I knew I loved the Bulls. I knew that everybody in the city loved the Bulls. I didn't realize just like how many people across not just the United States, but across the whole world were like that and claimed them as like, that's my team. That's right. my guy. And also it's weird how like we didn't know that your favorite team isn't supposed to win every year. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like they just, I was like, yeah, they're going to win. Like no one else got that. For an, and on our age, yeah, no, it was beautiful. Just yeah, and it really did give you a sense of confidence. There were some times I didn't even check in. I remember one of the championships. I was watching House Party Two. <laughs> it was either two or three, and I was at the theater. And then someone runs into the theater and go, "The Bulls won again, y'all!" <laughs> and the whole theater just started clapping and got it all. It was one of the best experiences of my life. That is amazing. That's incredible. That's the best way to find out ever. Just the whole theater going wild. Oh, I love that. Oh, man. And then um, I really like uh, the band Pearl Jam, and they closed out that final one, where it was Jordan, and then there was that Pearl Jam song. I had to take a walk after it. It was like, <laughs> it was like midnight, and I had to be like, I got to go for a walk. And I, and I have a broken foot. 
This is last night. And I like hobbled around my neighborhood just being like, that was really good. Yeah, it was real. Oh, so, so good. So, so uh, childhood memories, just loving. Because I fell in love with both John Paxson and Steve Kerr. And then now to see Steve Kerr as the coach. And he's such a cool civil rights dude and all that shit. Man, oh, my well, God. Uh, yeah. And then you find out that Steve Kerr's, I didn't know that stuff about Steve Kerr's dad, about how he was like the biggest civil rights activist in the fucking world literally got killed because of it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. This is just turning to the MJ doc listeners. If you haven't heard it, go watch it. You'll get to have the joy that Ron and I are experiencing as we talk right now. It's so good. Um, also when Michael Jordan goes, I ate the pizza. I had the whole pizza. Nobody else had the pizza. <laughs> That part made me laugh. I fucking love yeah. that part. Just how he's also bragging about how he ate a whole pizza. I also like it because you know they probably wanted some. <laughs> <laughs> they had to bet him for it. He beat him in quarters. Uh, CJ Sullivan had a great point. He goes, he goes, it's never great when there's a 10-hour documentary on you and your security guards are, are featured way more than your family. I was like, ooh. <laughs> ooh, that's yeah. No, there's a lot. Oh, man, that stuff. And I know you probably want to get into regular shit again, but um, just that no, stuff about I, how he just, did it. it it doesn't matter. It do, this is just a jumping off points. We're go on. I'm sorry. It's just that how he how I really gave me a lot of more respect for LeBron James watching this because of the way that LeBron James has set up socially and set up politically and what he believes in and 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 probably has lost money because of it and how Michael Jordan was not willing to do that for that North Carolina race and how he probably could have made a real difference in that and, and could have changed the life of, of millions of people in that area for decades. And he chose not to. Yeah. I, it really, it really does show you like how uh, like Steph Curry and like LeBron are so insane with, being politically active and that good at a sport because Jordan's like, no, I'm just good at a sport. That's all I am. That's all I want to be. And that's all I'm signed up to be. So it's like, that's okay. That's your right. But when these other guys are also like doing political shit, yeah. you're like, that's fucking dope. It is dope, but it also, I think in less of a, um, uh, of a, of a slight against Michael Jordan, it's more of a, indication of how far we've come as a society because yeah. i think he's right in the fact that if he had become socially active like that they would have tried to kill him not you know literally kill him they would have tried to kill his career no doubt no yeah, doubt well, about it yeah i think there was like there was a, just that stupid like idea of like i like i was taught to like barry sanders because he didn't celebrate, you know, just like, just, just like play versus Emmett Smith. There was that, it was Barry or Emmett. And I remember like, people were like, well, Barry just hands the ball to the ref. You don't need to showboat. And now as an adult, I'm like, fucking showboat. Get, you know, <laughs> you know, a, do you know how hard it would be to score a touchdown in the NFL? Kick the ball yeah. at the ref's face. It, you do whatever you want. Yeah, but that was yeah a lot of it of like, hey, um, don't show off, don't show what you've got, don't yeah. don't make us feel less comfortable for watching you. <laughs> yes, you know? exactly. It's so lame that we missed out on just nonstop fun. But uh, either way, okay, we both love Jordan, we love the Bulls, they're great. Uh, back to these punches jobs. <laughs>
Uh, so you work your way up at Grocery Outlet. Becky's jealous. You're getting highs. People are using the N-word in ways that we're not sure what they mean. Um, what, what happens after that? Um, basically, I learned, you know, just that lesson of, of like, knowing your value. And, and, and that's what I'm saying, like that head head cashier was the, like a title that they gave Whoa, me. Really? But How no, long did you work there? For like probably three years. Three, yeah, years. that's that is how you get to that head cashier. Wow, you really worked your way up. I worked my way up, but there was no like money booze. There wasn't that. I was like, hey, why don't you guys let me be like a part-time manager or do some things like that? Like I'm doing a lot of the managerial duties and doing all that type of stuff, but you're not giving me a raise or anything like that. Mm. And and also there's like a thing that came up where some money was missing from the till and they were sure that I had taken it because uh, I had just had my son and all that stuff. So they were like, he needs money. He didn't and I was, but I was like, y'all got cameras above the register. Wow. You tell me if I took the money. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, you man. should know. Dude. Yeah. I had, um, I had a friend who, uh, we both got hired at Papa John's at the same time. And when I learned how to make the pizza dough, he said, no, thanks. And all that meant was we, I got paid the same as him to do more work. And I learned right then I was like, never volunteer for more. Never. Yeah. Unless they're giving you that raise. Yeah. Yeah. I learned that very much. So there, and then, um, I, I, well, part of the reason I left is that I had my son and that I, was looking for another job. So I ended up working at a bank call center was Wachovia bank. Um, because they were the only place that would get you like 15, $17 an hour with no type of college education, you know? So yeah. That, was, that sounds pretty, that's pretty good money. I mean, so you had to be like, look, I'd like to be an assistant manager here. They're like, you stole from us. And you go, I don't like this. Yeah, basically. I was like, no, I didn't. You, and, uh, and but then it was a clear lesson of like, oh, this is what you think of me. That's like, really, yeah, you act right. like, yeah, you act like I'm great. You act like I'm so cool because like people like talking to me, but you would never give me more responsibility. You don't want to give me a raise. And at the end of the day, you think I would steal from you. Ooh, and that's, so, yeah, that's like uh, BJ Armstrong pointing at you. That's some, that's going to give you that edge to get a better yeah. job. Yeah, and so I had my son, so I was like, uh, this call center was opening up, so I went and applied for that. I had to find some some urine <laughs> and just get that together, and I worked at that call center, and I, I, knew, I knew it was a bad fit because I, you know, I was a real fucking um, uh, hippie dude. I hated, hated banks. Yep. Oh, no, are you still there? And I think you're still there. I just moved me. I hated banks. I hated all that shit. And I was like, I'm pretty sure banks are stealing money from us. And then I worked <laughs> at the bank for a couple of years. And I'm like, oh, no, I know they are. <laughs> okay. And then real quick, how did you, did you just like uh, bring urine in in a Ziploc? Like what happened with the faking of the, of the uh, weed test? Well, I was very lucky that my son was two years old. And he <laughs> They were like, oh my God, Ron, you are in crazy, um, great health. <laughs> you, dude, so you, you, you are, you, you're drinking out of the fountain of youth or something. Holy <laughs> shit. Uh, okay, well, that adds up. So you work at the bank, you don't like it, you feel kind of like you're selling out. When do you start thinking about doing some comedy? 
Um, I, you know, my whole life basically. Okay. Yeah. Why but, did you, why did you want to do it? Like, did you, what, what did you grow up loving? Grew up loving Dave Chappelle. I love Lucy, Mitch Hedberg. Those yeah. are like my holy trinity of people. I mean, that's a I good, love- that's a really good Venn diagram. I mean, yeah, it's really wonderful. Yeah, when you say it out loud, you go like, oh yeah, I see where your style comes from. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a little goofy, laid back, but also hit. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. All right. <laughs> and so that's why I grew up loving, you know, obviously didn't think it was any type of real job or anything. Had my son and when I was 20. And so that's what motivated me to work at the bank. Then he was diagnosed with autism when he was about two, two and a half. And so that kind of like freaked me out. And I was like, I need a real career. I, I can't work at this bank forever. I know that I'm working like 10 hours a day there. Um, but yeah, there, like, but it's like draining just like you, your insides. Yeah. And because I went in like when I start, I'm usually like if I do a job, I like to do a job. And so I would. Yeah, you want to get work. that head. You want to go up to head cashier the grocery exactly. hour. Exactly. So I'm sober. I'm doing my best. I'm talking to people, trying to figure out their overdraws and stuff. And then the more I look at it, I'm like, holy shit. Like these are the difference between the actual account balance and your available account balance and how they'll use that against you to give you like, I mean, I remember one time this dude just walked me through. He's like, you guys gave me five fees totaling a hundred and eighty dollars when I overdrew my account by a dollar. Yeah. And I was like, and I walked through it and I was trying and I was given this script on how to explain it. And and then he kept he kept just being like, no, one dollar, you guys charged me a hundred and eighty dollars. And I could not in my in any good conscience come up with a lie to tell this guy of like how like oh no you gotta know about when it posts to your account and doing all this like no you're right you're absolutely fucking right you overdrew by a dollar and they took absolute advantage of that and so i just started hating going there i would get high like at five in the morning when i had to get to work at six in the morning like i started off just you know sober have fun i'll get stoned when i go home and it was mm-hmm. like i would take two bong hits and just go to work and people would be like you your eyes are red and i'm like yeah it's six in the morning i'm tired <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm exhausted yeah i went to bed an hour ago shut up yeah but that's and like so that's I- how it that's how it was for me like, it would take me about two years of any job before I'm like, fuck this. And then I'll just burn it to the ground. Yeah. Oh, very similar in that regard. Yeah. I know. I know about six months in <laughs> that I'm oh, not yeah. going to survive here. No, but no, no. I- then it just turns into how long can I ride this out? Yeah. Like, like I said, with me being able to talk to people at this call center, they had a target of like, you press take like 130 calls a day. I would take like 30 calls a day Mm -hmm. and would talk to these people like they were ready to get off the phone. And I'd be like, tell me more about your day. (laughs) Then I get off the phone and I go talk to my team leader and see how their day was going. And that's how I survived because there's no like I just couldn't take that. I'm a very empathetic person Mm person and I couldn't take that energy of time after time of people being like, like my account's overdrawn, I'm fucking dire straits, I'm looking yeah. time after time after time, and I'm stuck at this middleman between them and their money. Like, you know, like, yeah, I can't that. Sounds, that. that does not sound fun. So, so when do you first do an open mic? Like, is it right there in um, uh, Salem or? Uh, no, it was in, in Portland. Basically what happened was that um, I was working at that bank. A lot of people would tell me I was funny. 
and I would almost get angry at them, you know? I would be like, oh, shut up. I'm a banker, whatever. And um, they had this thing because, again, I didn't take many calls, but they would also have people review your calls, and I'd always give very high scores because I was very personable, and I would give away a lot of money. And so yes. yeah, yeah. I would get all these high scores, and so then they came up with this whole committee of like, hey, teach other people how to be more personable, how to deal with stress better. And so they kind of pulled me off the phones for about two weeks and they were like, they let me just come up. I write a, I wrote a script. I came up with this little video, uh, just like a little funny three minute sketch about dealing with stress at the workplace. So you got to make, yeah, you got to like make, that's your first, like I, I get to create some comedy here. Yeah, it was my first chance of doing that. I didn't have to work on the phones at all for two straight weeks, just working on this video, editing this video, shooting this video. And then um, they liked it so much that they like did a whole like site-wide assembly and they showed my video at the beginning of the assembly. And all these people were laughing at all these fucking banker jokes and all these yeah. like corporate jokes. And I was like, and it was the first time I got that buzz of like people laughing at something I created. And I was like, holy shit. What if I was writing things I actually gave a shit about and not just doing the shit that my, the bank wanted me to do. And yeah. then they were like, Hey, you're done with your, your thing. Get back to work on the phones. And I was like, I don't think I can. <laughs> no. Dude, that's, the, that is incredible. That's like such a, a, a like a beautiful way to get the first, that's the most different way I've ever heard someone in like 130 episodes get their first start was making a bank presentation. Yeah. <laughs> and they, yeah, it was crazy, but it was, um, yeah, just hearing, I can still picture it just because I'm in the back of the room because I don't want anyone to see me, you know, and I don't want anyone to turn around and look at me. And, and I think, hey, I, I think it's corny as shit, right. you know? And so I'm like, oh, everybody's going to think it's corny and hate it. But then they all started laughing at it and laughing at the right parts and all that stuff. And I just loved it. That's fell in so, love with it. Yeah. And then I you started like, looking up open mics from yeah, that. You're, you're, and you're also like, uh, we're fortunate that you're, you're, you're in a city that is very welcoming to uh, comedy, especially around that time. Yeah. I mean, it was actually around that time. It was kind of like the beginning of it. I really got in with great timing because we, we, we didn't have helium yet. We didn't have the Bridgetown comedy festival yet. Yeah. I guess, I guess what, really you were the dude who like you and, Ian and and I, you could name other people were the guys who like really started a bunch of shows. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, like Shane Torres and Andrew Michon and those with their Good Looks show. Um, oh, that's the name of the show out here. I forget what it was called in Portland, but yeah, they all started a bunch of shows. We had first time where we had young people like starting shows, college age kids starting shows, and it really kind of like changed everything around. And I was really fortunate that as as my um, base of like being able to tell jokes got better like the festival came around mm -hmm. i got to meet the people that i was looking up to i got to meet you we hang out at ganja john's house dude that was i would tell <laughs> i'll tell that story real quick so the, the, i'm brand new to it's my first ever festival which is called the bridgetown comedy festival it's in portland it's a lot of people's first festival uh andy wood really really opened up the gates to who he'd let in i wasn't that good but i come i meet you you're the nicest guy ever you're like i'm going over this guy ganja john's house and i'm like well that sounds fun we go over there we meet him he's great first time i've ever seen dabbing 
Uh, yeah, just, we were we were dabbing fucking ten years ago. Yes, yes, it was wild. And uh, then you're like, okay, well, this car's full. Uh, I just took took my first ever dab hit. You're like, Brooks, jump in the next car. And then I watched, I think, just uh, the cartoon home movies with like Ganja John's family for like three hours. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a blast. It was so fun. <laughs> It was great. That was, yeah, the first time I met you. It was so fun. It was all because of Portland and the cool scene that you guys had created. Yeah, it was really, I think, uh, uh, very fortunate because we, the, the the scene that we had beforehand was all like about like doing triple runs and, and going out to Montana and Idaho and all that yeah. stuff. And I, I knew I had no interest in that. And so a lot of us were just doing jokes because we like doing comedy. And I think it helped all, a lot of us get, you know, our voices a little bit quicker and, and made the scene a lot more fun. Oh yeah, no, for sure. That's why, um, cause I moved to Chicago right from for a little bit. And then I was like, if I stay in Chicago, I'm going to have to tour. I don't want to do that as like a, unless I'm headlining. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but yeah, it was just nice to get to a place where you just got to tell jokes around like 23 year olds and you when you were 23. Yeah, exactly. And and it was great. I think Oregon in general was great for that or the Northwest because you could be in Portland and get that real hipstery. I don't watch TV. I don't think that, I, you know, the, the real like PC of it, even before people were complaining about that, I was already well versed in that from doing like you do a lesbian bookstore and, you know, you do all these different rooms and then you go to other parts of Oregon and have to do moose lodges or, uh, you know, these places and you see Confederate flags and you're like, well, that, we're in the North. <laughs> yeah, dude, I mean, uh, Oregon gets, uh, Oregon becomes crazy about 20 miles outside of Portland. You're like, wow, this is not Portland. Oregon is pretty Republican outside of this place. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's very. It's a, a very conservative state with a very, very, very liberal city. Yeah. No, that is known for. It's such an oasis. I fucking love it so much. And I've also gone up there and gone camping in Tillamook County. Man, it's just oh, such a great yeah. place to live. I love it. Oh, it's really beautiful because it's one of the few places where that has natural waterfalls in the United States. It has, like you said, I mean, just that Tillamook area, not just the actual area, but that dairy, that produce that they make over there. And all yeah, that it's oh, great. Yeah. And then the Mahaltma Falls, that was so, that's, yeah, it's just a good place. Okay, but let's get to this cannery before you end up moving out to Los Angeles and being on 15 TV shows and now the number one movie in America. <laughs> I actually worked at the cannery before I worked at the bank. The cannery oh, was like another high school job. I guess that I just that's I just remembered that a little bit more from when I met you than the bank. <laughs> it stuck out a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, but it was horrible. I love to talk about it, tell a story about it that um when I was after the Chuck E. Cheese, but before the, the cashier stuff, I took a job working at a cannery with my best friend and um, we would just do this night shifts and it was horrible. We just wanted money <laughs> for pot basically. And we would go to the cannery, we just get high off our ass. And then you'd have to put vegetables down these chutes with very sharp blades. Everywhere, out was, of, there, was there any pickles? There were no pickles. Damn it. I don't know why I thought you worked at a pickle factory. Broccoli, carrots, snap peas, that type of stuff for okay. sure. Um, and so we had that job. And then one time my friend got real high and just like 
decided he wasn't coming back to work after lunch. And that was fun. <laughs> That's and always so they, Everybody yeah. has a friend that they like will like get hired there and then that friend just you know, we'll dip out, and you're like, God, don't do that, Dave. They didn't fire him, though. They moved us both off of the line to the worst job that you have at a cannery, which is the outside line, because in the inside line, you're taking broccoli and you're putting it in a chute to get cut up and frozen. On the outside line, you're taking all that fucking factory farming that they're just tilling up, and your, your job is to remove dead rats and snakes Ooh. so that they don't make it inside. Oh, whoa. Oh, whoa. And guess Real. what? I don't like dead rats and snakes, so guess what? Sometimes I let go by. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Real, like, okay, how many, like, how many snakes are you seeing? Like, are you seeing a snake a day? No, you know, multiple snakes a day, oh, for sure. Gosh. And oh, you're no. seeing a shit ton of ferrets and rats because they're just, literally, they're just tilling up the whole area. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so, oh. like, ferrets, rodents, any type of stuff, they're all getting caught up in it, too. No, thanks. Okay, well, I'm glad we got to that, though. That's fine. Yeah, I would stay away from frozen vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So, okay, so, but now you you quit the bank. Um, your son, your son, your ears, like you realize, like, I want to take care of him, but I can't do it at the bank. What are you doing? What, like, what happens then? How do you get to Los Angeles? And then we'll start to wrap up. Oh man, that was a crazy time period. I don't recommend it for anyone. <laughs> um, I wish that I had kept that bank job. Cause I thought, although I still, it was great advice from my ex-wife where she was like, no one, no one wants to hear jokes from a banker. And I was like, that's, that's true. Yeah, but, but uh, <laughs> no one wants to hear jokes from a homeless person either. That's also true. Yeah. And so, but, but yeah. One's, was, one's boring, one's scary. That's true, but I think people would rather listen to the scary one. Yeah, no, I'm more <laughs> interested in the homeless joke telling. <laughs> so I, from the bank, the bank, um, I got fired there, but they refused to give me any unemployment. Cause I basically, once I started doing standup, I just stopped going to work. <laughs> yeah. I, no, I, I fully, I did the, I did the same thing where like I was getting, I was like the day I got to quit was the day he, they were like, Brooks come in here. And I was like, I, I'm going to quit. And they're like, Oh my God, thank God. Cause you don't you work here anymore. Yeah. So it was a lot of me starting shows in Salem and, um, like, that's how I would make money. I would do coffee house shows and pass the hat around. And sometimes it would come back with not enough. And I'd be like, we're going to do another act. And we're going to pass this hat around again. Because <laughs> I told my son I was bringing him home McDonald's. So yeah. we got to do it. So it's a very stressful time period where I learned how to, you know, book myself out. And um, I did a lot of shitty road gigs. doing. Yeah, I mean, featuring- Created probably, I mean, didn't probably absolutely create the self-discipline needed to work during a pandemic. Yeah, because I had the stress of like, I need to pay my bills no matter what. I don't know where it's going to come from. I mean, the true honest, honest of it is that like, you know, as much of like, sometimes people are like, oh, my son was diagnosed with autism and it like, it's how horrible, like, but it actually probably helped us out a lot because once my son got on social security, like that's how I knew the rent was going to be paid. So then like, I was like, Oh, it's my job to make sure I get the electricity, mm-hmm. get the gas money and get food money. Yeah. My son's paying rent, which is why <laughs> even to this day, like, you know, my fiance's like, he, he's so spoiled and stuff. And I was like, yeah, but he, 
I'm paying him back. <laughs> that's wonderful. That's beautiful. That's a great way to look at it. Oh man, that's so that's insane. Okay, and then what was the impetus? Because you you like, dude, you were well known still up in Portland, where like uh, that's that was rare at least back like pre big internet days. It was like Chicago, New York, LA, and then it was like. Will Ron Funches is up in Portland. He's coming to LA this weekend, and it was always fun when you'd come down. Well, because you stayed up there for like a kind of a long time in comedy terms. What brought you to LA? Oh, uh, basically brought me to LA is, is that I was getting divorced, and so I needed a place to live no matter what. And so I was like, I might as well make the jump down there if I don't have a place to be anyway. So we can go and figure it out. Um, but truthfully, I. I it was like longer than I wanted it to be, mm -hmm. but I think it was the right amount of time just because I saw like some other people who jumped a little earlier and, and saw the, some of the troubles that they had getting their footing in LA. Yeah. It's, and, yeah. I, I really remember like you were so funny before you got here, which is rare. Thank you. Yeah. But that was it. I, I because I had so much stage time up there. I could get up, especially at that point, cause I'd already been on Conan and stuff like I could literally just like make a call or, or DM someone and I can get up in any show in Portland any day. And right. so I took advantage of that for a long time. But then it got to the point where I was like, Oh, they're laughing at the setups. They're laughing at, at uh, like half form jokes because mm -hmm. they're like, this is our guy, you know? And I was like, that's when I kind of knew it was time to leave when I wasn't getting honest reactions anymore. Right. I mean, I heard that that's a lot what happened to Hedberg only on a, uh, the United States scale. Mm. Like he couldn't get real shows anymore because he, he's, you know, the greatest, my favorite standup of all time. But like he would just say something, they would laugh and he'd be like, no, I didn't finish that joke yet. Like, uh, and but you didn't you instead of uh turning to heroin and uh killing yourself, you lost a bunch of weight. I did. I yeah. said, let's go to LA, let's lose some weight, let's try some acting, let's try some voiceovers. And I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, I, I do voiceover, it is the most it's I mean, it's like how I pay my rent right now, and it's the greatest job in the planet. Oh, yeah, man. It's absolutely, I think, especially for, for stand-ups, it's a great way to diversify what you're doing while also, like, like some acting jobs can be fun, but they also can be traps in the fact that, like, if they don't represent who you are as a stand-up, mm -hmm. then when people come to see you on the road, they're kind of confused. There's this mixed messaging, this mixed branding on, on who you are. But what does that doesn't matter when you're doing voiceover. Nobody thinks I'm a fucking giraffe, you know? <laughs> Yeah, man. Plus, you've been on a bunch of TV shows. You're super funny. Uh, you also, we've both been on AP Bio. That's my favorite show I've been on. Yeah, man. I love Michael Bryan. That guy is such a fucking funny dude. Such it's a all, nice guy. Always, yeah, so nice we get to be on what you deem to be a, a cool show by your peers. Because I've also done some real lame, lame brain stuff, and I'm so happy to do it. But anytime you get to be on like those AP Bio shows, you're like, hell yeah. Because I see you on it. I'm like, Ron's on AP Bio this week. I actually watched his show. <laughs> yeah, I just love anytime, like, I'm sure you know from when you work those other shows sometimes they want you because they're like oh that's the name that people are talking about or, or, or like or you fit a demographic or whatever but they don't want what you do they just are like hey do what we do but with your with your voice and I'm like man why I'm not like you could get a much better actor yeah you get, you that, know, was, somebody, that was me I don't and do that. 
I, that was me at SNL. I was like, you guys saw my audition. I didn't do voices or characters. I just wanted to write here. And then, uh, but what are you going to do? It, it, it all works out in the end. Yeah, it's good to know that. If there's a place you don't mean it, you know, for a place to not fit in at, that's a great place to have them be like, hey, we think you like you, but you don't fit in. That's awesome. You know, that's not, that's so many people wish they could have that. But I also, I hate it when people who don't like it are acting like, are still like, oh, I love it. It's just such an institution. If you don't fit in, you don't like it, then don't do it. No, no. I, my thing about SNL is I like literally everybody who works there except for, I mean, I, and I don't even dislike Lauren. I just don't have an opinion. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm like, he was super cool, but also super distant. I never got to know him. But everyone who works there is cool. It's just a weird job. It seems awesome. like it seems like it's like working with the WWE or something, you know. One hundred percent, yes. It's you're working. You're working for the bank of comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is whole culture of like this is it, and this and you should. This is what you've been working your whole life for. And I even tell that like my fiance, she doesn't understand. She's like. She's like, why don't you watch Saturday Night Live? And I was like, because I don't like it. Like, yeah, I, <laughs> like yeah, I I loved it when I was in high school, and like that, it it takes you working on that show to realize, like, oh, this we're we're not writing for us, we're writing for high schoolers. And uh, well, I wasn't writing for anybody because I. <laughs> but yeah, no, it just you know, it's like learning learning to like. It's fun to have taste. Is all I'll say. It's nice. Yeah, it's okay to not like everything. It's okay. I, mean, I still have the utmost respect for that institution, but I have never in my life wanted to audition for that or thought that would be a good fit for me. I've never, ever, ever wanted to go over there. Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's fun to watch. If you're ever in New York, you should go. But other than that, let's get out of this. Just, now I, I, I just started sweating. I just started sweating. <laughs> you hate going back there. <laughs> no, I'm just like just talking about that show. I'm just like, oof, boy, just flashbacks. Because when we were on that show, you were on a really cool show. You were on Undateable, and it just—I remember I watched some Undateables, uh, and it just—I was so jealous of what I perceived to be the fun you guys were having. We were having a lot of fun. That is very—you did perceive that well, and it, it really kind of set me up for um, heartache in the future. When I thought every job was like that, I thought every job would have like there were literally scripts that would show up that like shooting scripts that would show up with Ron come up with joke here. Yeah, <laughs> it's and incredible. I like I love this. This is awesome because I can and I will. That yeah. that is what I'm good at. They're so, trusting you. Yes, they trust me, and they and they, and they trust all of us, and that, that's why they hired us. Exactly. So I love that, and then, and then I went to another show right after that, and I would pitch things, and I, cause I love. Pitching. Sometimes I overstep my bounds. I, Neil, I oh, one hundred percent. I'm trying to get in that writer's room all the time. All the time, and I understand that, and I know that means that sometimes I had to learn to be like, hey, this is they've hired me to act, and so I will act if they want my. I will float out a couple of things and if they're receptive then I'll do more and if they're not I won't I won't waste my time trying to fucking you know annoy do what someone I who doesn't yeah who thinks you're just an actor who doesn't know that you are a comedian even really yeah exactly and so it, um yeah those are some harsh lessons I would do pitch them on the, the next show I was on and they'd be like I remember I had this conversation and they're like look um what you said I'm gonna be honest it was funnier but we're, if, if we're going to use that, we're going to have to call and get approval from this guy. And that's going to take like an hour or two. So why don't we just do it how it's written? 
Yeah, yeah, And yeah. I was like, but you just said it was funnier. Mm-hmm. I love it when they're like, okay, let's do one. Let's do one on script, and then you can go crazy. You know, where they're clearly going to use the one that they want to use. Yeah, I mean, but that I'm fine with. Yeah, I'm yeah. fine with that because then you at least let me get it out of my system. Oh, true. That's just a good director is what we're talking about. Yeah, you let me do it. And it's, I mean, the best ones are when they use it. That's the uh-huh. best. Okay. Uh, because those have been my best work. Like I was in um, Future Man. 80% of my dialogue in that thing is like improvised that I made up. And I was only in one episode and I still get people being like, holy shit, I, that was your best acting you've well, ever done. That's because Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg are comedic geniuses and understand to utilize what you're good at. Like, we hired this funny guy. Let him just be funny in the way that he's funny as opposed to how we think he's funny. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I learned that. I mean, I will say the name of this one, but, like, I was in a couple episodes of Blackish, and, like, the character and stuff just wasn't, like, it's not me. Like, even the way that they would talk, like, they would have me be more, more black, more urban, and I just, like, I like to just talk like me. Like, I am black, regardless of how I sound to you, you know? And so I would do the character that they wanted, and then I would just talk shit in between takes. And then one time, another guy, one of the background guys goes, man, why are you so much funnier when they call cut? Yeah. You're like, because this is like a big number one show in America, and America loves this, this, this style of comedy hmm yeah um, i learned yeah oh yeah man i learned a lot of lessons and I, of course i'd do it again if they asked me because it is such a big ass show yeah but for sure i man I was but you're, like, some places that want to have fun and some places they just ready to go home i get it i well i i get it. i want to have fun though okay but you're you came on to promote you got a show on quibi right oh yeah <laughs> I, I know what i'm doing I'm, I'm trying to become a i'm trying to get better it's harder to interview you know over the computer but i'm i'm, I'm getting there you getting there? Yeah, I have a show called Nice One coming out June 8th on Quibi. It is a competition of kindness where I get three comedians and I make them find the bright side of bad situations or horrible people, have them say something nice like about people like Harvey Weinstein or stuff like that. Uh-huh. And then uh-huh. it breaks down to a one-on-one compliment competition. It comes out June 8th on Quibi. I'm assuming a lot of people don't want to get a new streaming service. So there is a 14-day free trial. You can get in there watch all of my stuff watch reno 911 yeah and then dip out before they charge your account because you know from working at that bank i don't want you to get overdraft baby not at all well ron that was a tremendous promo <laughs> it was great it was wonderful uh thanks so much for coming on ron i'll put a link to where people can find you in this episode so in this episode so description uh and uh yeah it's just good to hang out man i, I hope you have a great rest of your day it's just always good to talk to you, Brooks, man. Absolutely. You know what? Hey, I will say one more really nice Ron Funches story. Uh, when I was like up in San Francisco and I just popped over to uh, the punchline and you were headlining and I just asked if I could do like a guest set and you were like, yeah. And then it was like you, me and Nick Yusuf and it was the most fun show and you were so nice. And then you, I took it, I even kind of steal it from you. I still not a joke you do, but like sometimes if the feature is really, really funny. You just walked up after me and Nick and you go, show should be done. And it was so nice. <laughs> it was such a compliment. You got, you were, you were like, you just yelled at the crowd that they were getting too much funny for one night. And it was just 
so endearing and like I learned how to like, oh, the headliner, if they compliment the comedians before them, the audience really likes that because it shows it's a nice person. It was just really good, uh, really good note I took. Oh, I appreciate that. And that, I mean, that just came from me seeing the opposite a lot, you know, right. I, especially when I was featuring you, you'd get a lot of these headliners who would throw you under the bus if you had a bad set just so that they could start off with a laugh, you Oof. know? And I never liked that. I, I always wanted to be on the side of my fellow comedian, you know, like even I, I've had those things, right? And then I will come out and I tell them that they're wrong, that that's my friend. How oh, dare boy. they? And How also, dare they? I've done that too. It never works out. It does not work. <laughs> it does not work, but I don't care about it working. Yeah. I just care about doing it to let my friend know that I care about them. Yeah. I and, just I picked out somebody one time at like the stand in New York and they were just like talking through Dan Soder's set. And I like went up after Soder and I was like, do you, you just fucking talk through Dan Soder's set? Like you are an animal. All right, here I go. And they were like, no, you came out too mean. Yeah, yeah, we don't know you. <laughs> Uh, but you're right. But that man, I get a lot of that from watching wrestling too. I'll go back and watch some wrestling from the mid '90s, and I'll, you'll see like these Hall of Famers who are in like the mid, mid, middle of the card, and no one's people are chanting "boring" at these Hall of Famers, and you're just like, man, like nobody. It doesn't matter what your business yeah, is. Yeah, you're like matter. that's Dean Malenko. Yes, it was Ray Mysterio Jr. who's who they were chanting "boring" at oh. Ray Mysterio Jr. <laughs> okay. That's wild. That's very wild. Uh, all right, Ron, I'll let you go because I know you're a busy guy, but uh, I know you listen to every episode of Entry Level, so this will not come as a surprise. I always let the guest take us out, so go ahead. Thank you for listening to Entry Level. You're at the beginning. We can make it to the end. <laughs> <laughs> Thank